And hello and welcome everyone to this week's edition of Novak Now. I'm Jake Novak, and here I am on the Nachum Siegel Network and Moedim Simcha for everyone celebrating Sukkot. Um, I did a last-minute building of my sukkah a few hours before Yantav, I got it done. Luckily, it was a very idiot-proof uh, sukkah to put together, <laughs> and uh, it's really a nice one. And the only hard part was the schach. I have a really good ladder, but I don't have two really good ladders. And it was definitely a two-person job, but uh, my wife helped me. We got it done. That was the hardest part. Only fell on my head a couple times, the schach roll. And uh, I hope I don't have any long-term damage. <laughs> anyway, um, obviously, uh, there have been so many developments in the news just since Yom Tov started. There have been so many developments since the last edition of Novak Now. And, of course, we skipped last week for Yom Kippur. And I just want to try to get a handle on not necessarily every little thing that's going on, but try to pass on uh, to you as listeners and as people who follow the, the news some of the, of the tips that I can give you based on my 25 years of experience, 25 plus years experience as a, a journalist, mostly a TV journalist and producer, but also working on the internet and you know, gee, there, there certainly are a lot of journalists out there that should take this advice as well, because there's a lot of good work being done right now, a lot of unprofessional work being done right now, and I'll touch on probably three main aspects of it. The first thing I want to talk about, though, is the actual nature, the change, fast-changing nature of the news, because that really is something that I think we can all agree on. We can all agree that there's just been a different kind of blockbuster-type story, one that would have been big enough to last for a few weeks, coming seemingly every other day or maybe even every day or even more than once a day. Um, we just had a presidential debate just a couple of days ago. Uh, we just had a, a, a Supreme Court justice pass away on uh, era of Yom Kippur, and, the whole, and, and we, had a president, we had President Trump nominate her replacement. And we have a whole battle going on with that. I mean, the, the, the stories I just mentioned would have been good enough to last for uh, uh, several weeks, if not months. But then, of course, we had the real big blockbuster, which is President Trump being diagnosed with COVID-19, staying at the White House for about a day before doctors decided that it was best for him to go to Walter Reed. I think they decided Walter Reed Hospital, which is a hospital that is mostly known for treating badly injured troops from the field. And sadly, because we've been at war in this country, both in Afghanistan and in some parts of Iraq for such a long time, and thankfully, a huge part of that has, has ended. We only see, thank goodness, it's still too many, but we only see troops getting injured once every few months right now in those theaters in that part of the world. Nevertheless, that's where they often go, Walter Reed. But it's also a place where the president goes for his checkups, all presidents, not just President Trump. And so that happened on Friday <laughs> that he went to Walter Reed. So, and, and, and then, of course, on Sunday, uh, you know, he, he's been giving us, uh, President Trump's been giving us some frequent video messages that look clearly off the cuff. I mean, I, I, I'm sure they rehearsed a little bit about what he was going to say, but there's clearly no teleprompter there. And he's going on one of the videos he went on for four minutes, which is not that easy without a teleprompter when you're talking to the whole country. Uh, the others were about one to two minutes in length. And then Sunday, uh, early evening Sunday, he went on a little bit of a um, car tour uh, around the radius of Walter Reed Hospital because there, that's where so many of his supporters had been camped out since he arrived there. And he was just g giving them a little bit of a wave and that kind of thing. Um, 
you see a lot of these stories change. So I just want to give you some advice as a as news viewers. If you're watching it on te- on television news, if you're watching the news that way, or even if you're reading it from an in- from from a from an internet source, and certain this is certainly true of a newspaper. One of the things that is one of the greatest challenges for journalists today, especially with the technology that we have, is how do you deal with stories that change on the fly? Now, for, many, for most of my career, I have been producing, I'm not doing it now, but for most of my career, I produced one to two-hour two programs that we would have roughly about five hours to prepare for, maybe a little bit more, but usually we would go on the air for about an hour, and we would have about five hours to prepare for it in a given day, and there would be stuff that we would plan for many days in advance. For example, if we wanted to get a very good guest to talk about a particular topic, uh, you know, you can't just call top newsmakers are really, really the best TV people day of. I, I wish we could because I'm, I'm a big fan of doing what's, what's the latest and giving people literally the latest thing they can get. But you can't always do that. So there is, is obviously this work that's done days in advance, sometimes weeks in advance for a particular segment in the program. But when it comes to what your top stories are going to be, you, 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 you have about five hours to prepare. And the funny thing that happens is that so very often... within that window of five hours and sometimes usually within two hours of a program, the news will change. So imagine if you were somebody who was going to do a big story about the, about how the debate uh, response was going on early, you know, on Thursday, Thursday night or or going into Friday morning, you were still going to do that story. You were going to do a story about what appearances president Trump was going to make. You were going to do a story about the vote for whether there would be full hearings and the confirmation hearing for the Supreme Court nominee, Amy Coney Barrett. And then, of course, the news comes down that President Trump has contracted COVID-19. So you got what we call ripping up the rundown. The rundown is like the list of stories that you're going to do, and not just the list of stories, but how they're going to be covered. So, for example, you have in one column the name of the story. You'll say, man, maybe it's called Trump COVID. In the second column, you have the name of the news person, maybe the anchor who is going to read that story and the, and the reporter that will will bring in to do that story. In another column, you'll talk about what video or, or audio elements you'll have. So if it's radio, it'll be like, okay, here's we're going to run some tape of the president's doctor or run some tape of the president talking. Or if it's a television or any other kind of video medium, uh, you'll have in a column they're showing what videos you're going to show, um, what graphics you might have, all that. And, of course, you know you can work for hours and hours and hours on a very nice rundown with 10, 15, 20 stories with all of your little columns perfect – and, you know, we hire people, people get hired in the television news business and in the radio news business and in the newspaper to create great rundowns, people who can do that work, who can fill, plug it in there and do it great. There's not a lot of people, though, who get hired based on what really you want in news, which is someone who can really pivot on a dime. And that goes for the people who are in front of the camera and behind the camera for television and in front of the mic or, you know, in the control room for radio. There's not a lot of that. Now, radio, to me, I've, I never really worked full-time in radio. I've done a lot of work in radio as an, as an added position to what I was doing in TV. And I have to tell you, I've been envious of the radio people my whole life because they get to, because the radio people get to change things. It's a little bit easier for them to change things. They don't have to f- change all the... The, the videos, because they don't have video, <laughs> um, if they do have sound tapes, that's something they can just decide not to play. But when you're watching on television, you've got to see a picture all the time. 
if you're on the radio and you're waiting for a story to be completed by a writer, a breaking story, you can just do what I'm doing right now and just sort of say, hey, uh, we're about to get a breaking story coming out of the White House. Please stay with us. And then I can give you the temperature. I can give you the time. I can let you know about the traffic. Maybe I can do all kinds of things to tap dance, as we say, until, until the story is ready to go. And, you know, you're kind of on the edge, edge of your seat. I've got you as an audience because you know any minute I, I've got some important breaking news for you. So, so I, I was always quite jealous. Uh, I've always been quite jealous of radio for the, the, their ability to do that. But there are not enough people in television who are willing to, because, you know, there, there's a psychological, whether it's subconscious or conscious, there's a little bit of a bias on your part if you've been working for five hours to put together a show and a breaking news story changes all of it and you have to rip it all up. And you're worried that all that work's gone for nothing. You're worried that maybe you're not making the right decision by throwing everything out to do a top story, uh, a new top story. And you, you might really err on the side of being too cautious and not giving the, the viewing public or the listening public what they really want to hear. And I think that is a tremendous bias or a tremendous personal human failing that we have in news that maybe a lot of people don't realize. Um, I think you, you, you might also have a situation where you've prepared the, a particular guest for a, for a particular spin on a story and things change and you decide not to change that coverage. So, for example, you may have had a lot of networks trying to figure out, well... Let's just say, you know, saying, saying in, their new, in their newsroom meetings, let's just say President Trump is really seriously ill. Let's get all the people to talk. Let's get a bunch of guests and medical guests who would talk about that scenario only. And then it turns out he's not that seriously ill. He's recovering well. He's going out and when waving. He's making all these videos. And you've got all these doomsday guests on. And it just looks like you're not following the story or that you're really pushing a narrative that isn't true. So that happens. And it happens way too often. In television news, and it happens. I think it happens in radio news, and I think it happens in, especially in the newspapers, because the newspapers go to press hours before uh, stories change. They don't change it. They try to tell you on their websites that they change it, and they do change their websites obviously more than they do on their, their hard copy paper editions, but not enough. They they come in with not only a geographic and a doomsday bias and a politi- and a mostly liberal bias. You've heard me talk about that before. Here on Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network, the three main biases in descending order for the news industry, which is the number one bias is the doomsday negative bias. They, they, they will always favor the fr- more frightening negative a- a story and the more frightening and negative aspect of the story. That is the biggest bias that almost none of them can overcome, that mo- most, you know, most news organizations cannot overcome. The second biggest bias is the geographical bias. They will care about their own circle of, of, of the world much, much more than any other place. And the third one is, of course, the big liberal bias, which is mostly uh, the one that people talk about the most, but I think it's only the third of the biggest biases. And it's, it's very prevalent. I'm not saying it's not out there and it's a lot of places, but it's not as, as strong. It's not as enduring as the doomsday bias, the negative bias. And then I would add another bias to that, which is just the, I don't want to rip up my rundown bias. I, you know, I, I had a whole show put together about the debate and I had a whole show put together about Trump's weekend schedule, and now he has COVID. Okay, we're going to do it, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to break my back. I'm not going to break my back to bring in a, a, a lot of guests who will have different angles on it. I'm just going to bring in my doomsday guest. I'm going to bring in someone who can just sort of talk off the cuff for a, a long time, which is a danger zone in news. You know, one of the reasons why when you turn on the television news today, and I'm talking about the cable networks, especially CNN and MSNBC, 
you see people going on there talking about what the president is thinking and what people in the White House are, are thinking, which is ludicrous. <laughs> you have mind reader news almost 24-7 on those networks. And some of it is because they really, really hate the president and they want to talk about intent and they want to talk about thoughts because if you, if you only talk about the actions and the facts that are there, you, you won't be able to bash this president all that much. That's, but if you can sort of put evil intent into what he's doing or not doing, you can talk about it all day. And again, this is aided and abetted by a lot of so-called professionals in the industry. I saw a tweet over the weekend from Professor Jay Rosen, who is a big, big uh, journalism professor at, at New York University at NYU. And he's going on and on about how journalists should have, the hypothesis they should have, what they should be thinking about, what the White House is thinking. I mean, I, I kept looking for his tweets like, where is he going to advise reporters to actually report? How about calling and, uh, people in the White House and trying to find out what's going on? And if no one in the White House will talk to them, if nobody will be a source for them, either on or off the record, but a reliable and, and truthful source, then that, tells the, that should tell you much more about the journalists than the people in the White House. All kinds of administrations, Republican and Democrat in the past, have had people in those administrations who were reliable sources, who would work with the news media, even in Republican administrations where they knew they were dealing with slightly hostile people because they knew, well, I'll be a source for someone who's a little less hostile, who's a little bit more professional from our side. But there's no, hardly anybody like that, if anybody, in the mainstream news media. And so I, I don't blame the Trump, the Trump administration for not providing any reliable information on or off the record to anyone. So you end up with people who, get, who you book, because again, you don't want to rip up your rundown. If you've had to rip, rip it up because there was a big story like this president getting uh, diagnosed with COVID, you can't really get a, a reliable source because you don't have one. So you go and you bring on your commentators, the people who go on and bloviate and talk about stuff that they don't know about, but they're compelling at least to the point that they have some excitable behavior on the air and you can work with that. And that's what I think happens a lot of the time in television news especially, and I think also in the newspapers and certainly on the internet. And I just want to give you a, a tip as, as, you know, if you're a viewer, if you're a reader, if you're, if you're scanning the, the, the internet, you've got to be aware of that. <laughs> You know, you've heard me say many times here on Novak Now, be as discerning a consumer of the news as you are when you go to the produce stand at your supermarket. If you see oranges that are black, if you see bananas that are all brown, you don't buy them. If you see uh, little fruit flies flying around all the fruit that you want to buy, you don't buy that. You don't buy it. You've got to be a tougher consumer of the news. And I think... It, it does require a little bit more exercise on your part from, the, from a mental point of view. But, you know, I think that's ultimately a good thing. You know, there's a lot of people I meet every, every once in a while who say, oh, I wish it was like the days when it was Walter Cronkite and I just trusted him and I sat back and that was the news. That's not good. I'm not saying Walter Cronkite was a bad man. I really don't know if he was a good man or not. I never met him personally. And until I meet someone personally and really get to know them, I don't make even a, even a private judgment about whether they're a good or a bad person, okay? But that wasn't good, <laughs> that you felt that you could trust this guy and you would just sit back and, let, and passively let him tell you what the news is or passively let the New York Times tell you what the news is. That's not the way the world works. 
How many people in America will really, really know, even if they watched every night of the Walter Cronkite News in the good old days, CBS Evening News, and were reading the New York Times in the 60s and 70s and into the early 80s, how many of them really would know the true story of what was going on in Israel during those years? None. And not necessarily because there was any anti-Israel bias there, though certainly by the late 70s that was coming into the New York Times very heavily. But you would know nothing. There would be tons of stories that would have caught you with your pants down. The rise of Islamic uh, extremism or the major spread of it from smaller pockets of the Middle East to the wider Middle East. You would have missed that story until, I guess, until the... The, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the revolution in Iran and the Islamist, the Islamist resolu- revolution there in 1978-79. Sure, you had had incidents of terrorism against Israel, but you, pro- you might have just chalked that up to regular garden variety anti-Semitism. You would have missed that story. They weren't covering that, I promise you. And there's tons of others that I could really list. So the point is, you've got to be a little bit more proactive and when it comes to these kinds of stories about when you, when you turn on the television or if you look on the internet or if you're reading in the newspaper and story after story is about what Trump is thinking or what people in the administration are thinking or what, uh, you know, mind games, then stop reading. It's, it's, not, it's not journalism. It's not even good. Edit- it's not even editorializing. I'm okay with editorializing. I really am. It's what I, I do it all the time. But if you ever catch me saying this person's thinking that or that person is thinking this, and this must be what's going through their mind. Like, please turn me off, or tell me, or, or, or email me and say, Jake, you're, you're doing the same thing that you bash other people for doing. We don't do that. So I just wanted to remind you there, just give you a little bit of a consumer tip as a news viewer or as a news reader. Uh, you're going to see a lot of this kind of crazy speculation, so watch out for that. Um, one of the really negative things we're seeing... It's totally predictable. One of the really negative things we're seeing is the way people reacted to the news of President Trump getting diagnosed with COVID. Now, there were some people who said some very good things publicly. Got to give credit where it's due. I thought Rachel Maddow tweeted a very nice comment about praying for the president's health. Uh, I guess Joe and Jill Biden did as well. There were some people who were angry that they didn't do it earlier, but they did it before, I guess, noon of Friday morning. So it was before we got to the afternoon of the first day of the diagnosis. So I'm going to give them a pass on that. And there were some people who were doing that, but there were a lot of others who really showed themselves in the worst possible light, celebrating President Trump getting diagnosed with this disease, joking about it. Uh, I see that on Saturday Night Live, Chris Rock said, uh, on behalf of America, we thank COVID-19 for infecting the president. He said something along those lines. You know, (laughs) folks... You're going to see a lot of behavior like this. And for those of you who listen to my guest appearance on Miriam Wallach's uh, That's Life show here on the Nachum Siegel Network on Thursday, you heard me talk about something called the fake because. And I think that there may be some people out there who will use this COVID incident as a fake because. The, beha- the bad behavior of Democrats and some leftists and other Trump haters, you, you might have a few of them, who- few voters out there who come out and say, well, I was thinking about voting for Biden, but when I saw how the Democrats were celebrating uh, Trump getting COVID, I couldn't vote for him. That, to me, that would be a fake because, but it's still not something we should completely ignore. I think it's true that it's reprehensible that some people are doing this. And obviously there's bad behavior on the other side when bad things happen to Republicans, uh, sorry, Democrats and liberals. That happens too. I'm not saying that only liberals are ghoulish, but 
if you look at the internet, <laughs> you look at Twitter, um, there's no denying that in recent years, the left and the Democrats have become much more ghoulish and inappropriate and personally on these kinds of things than Republicans have. Now, if you give me a 50-year time horizon, uh, you might see oh, you know, that Republicans were worse 30 or, tw- or 40 years ago, or, or conservatives were, sure. But in the last several years, it's really gotten out of hand. And I have to say, it's definitely a concern. If Joe Biden wins this election, I am really worried about the safety of, for some Americans much more than I am for if Donald Trump wins. I really think that there's going to be some personal safety issues in, involved for people who have been very overt Trump supporters if Joe Biden wins. So it's just one of those things. I know that there are some people who think there's going to be widespread rioting if Donald Trump wins, and that may be true. Sadly, though, I think it's just going to be in the same places where we saw rioting all through this summer, spring and summer. Not that they can handle it anymore. It's just that I don't know if there's going to be any, quote, new, I don't think there'll be any victim. I don't think that, uh, for example, Biden supporters are going to be attacked. I think they'll be the ones doing the attacking. They're just The question is whether they'll be attacking Trump supporters personally or whether they'll just be setting inner cities on fire again like they did. And, and I guess they really haven't completely stopped since the spring. So it's definitely a concern, you know, and we, when you see these kinds of things happening, something physically bad happening to President Trump or physically happen, you know, to Republicans and things like that. And the cheering that goes on from some people who are really prominent people. I'm not talking about anonymous folks out there somewhere who, who, who you don't know. I, I, I'm worried about it. I have to say that I'm worried about it. Now, I've talked about who's going to win, who's going to lose. So let's talk about the polls now. I'm going to go back to my pointers here. And this is the, 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 second, the first part. You know, I talked about how you should watch the news very carefully. Again, I want to give you some pointers about how you look at polls. We are now in almost mid-October. Let's, it's early October. Let's say it's or still early October. And there are a lot of polls coming out almost daily in this presidential election. And I want to help you look at those polls more in a more educated fashion and in a more discerning way. So there's a couple of things you should know. And I will use a poll that was released on Sunday morning as an example of, of how you can learn about uh, how to deal with polls properly. Now, there was a poll that was released... NBC News, Wall Street Journal, these are major, major uh, news organizations. They have an organization that polls for them. They pay them. And they put together a poll showing Joe Biden ahead by 14 percentage points, if you can believe it, on Sunday. So I looked at that number, and I was really incredulous. And so sure enough, I looked at the details of the poll, and then everything made sense. First thing is they only polled registered voters. Literally, people who are just on the rolls, people who who are allowed to vote if they want to go and vote. At this point in an election, actually, we're well past that point. We're more than a month past that point. After Labor Day, in an election year, you don't publish polls of just registered voters anymore. You only publish polls of likely voters, which means that one of the first questions you ask in a poll is, are you registered? Okay, we know, we know you're registered. Are you going to vote? And they need to be able to say something along, along the lines of, yes, I'm definitely voting. I'm 90% going to vote. Or I've already voted. There's been early voting. Something like that. In America today, there are a lot of people who are registered who just don't vote. And that has been the case for 40, 50 years in this country. We barely get most of the registered voters to vote in a good turnout election. 
let alone most of the adult Americans who are eligible to vote. We don't get a majority of people who are eligible to vote in this country to vote, if you can believe that. We usually get a majority, just barely, of the registered voters. So if you're doing a poll with just registered voters, <coughs> there's a chance that 45 to 49% of them aren't going to vote, and it's not really worth polling them. So you really have to go to likely voters, especially at this late point in the election. Now, the only reason why it's okay to go to registered voters a little bit earlier on is because <coughs> three or four months before an election, it's hard to say when someone says, I'm definitely voting, it's not, as a, it's not as solid a prediction as it is just a few weeks or a month before an election. So once you get past Labor Day, you should really only be publishing likely voter polls. And that poll that came out on Sunday showing Biden ahead was only registered voters, which is just crazy that NBC and the Wall Street Journal would publish a poll like that. It's probably not anybody's fault. It's probably that they weren't able to get a, number, a good number of likely voters in that poll, so they went with registered voters. I get it. But it's not responsible to publish a poll like that. It's not a reliable poll to, to, to publish at this time in the election. Here's the second problem. The poll was of only 800 people. That's another thing. For polls to be reliable, you really need to have at least 1,000 respondents. Okay? So, to poll, pub, so now we got two strikes against this poll. It was registered voters and not likely voters. It was only 800 respondents, which is a good 20% below where it needs to be for, I think, a minimum of reliability. So they did that. And then the third problem was their sampling was really skewed. They ended up polling more Democrats than Republicans by an eight percentage point gap, which is massive. Anything more than three, four at the most, is really not reliable right now for, for, for one party over another. It's just not reliable right now. You can't do that. We don't have that much of a skew in this country. And of course, national polls in the first place are unreliable anyway because that's not the way we do it in this country. You can have every man, woman, and child in California and New York vote for Joe Biden and he could still lose the election big time. But if that happens, he would have a tremendous lead in the overall national popular vote. But we don't do a popular vote to decide who, who wins the presidency in this country. So national polls, of course, already have a, are already problematic. But what we found overall is that if someone has a three to four point lead in a national poll, it's likely he will win or she will win the Electoral College. Now, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by 2.7%, and she lost the Electoral College by a lot, when you think about it. She lost by, uh, I guess it was 74 electoral votes, which is no small number. But, you know... (laughs) It's just the poll. This poll was weak for other reasons. Again, registered voters, not likely voters at this late date, should not be published. Fewer than a thousand respondents at this late date should not be published. And a skewing of eight percentage points more Democrats than Republicans at this late date also should not be published. But of course, they published it and made a big deal out of it. Now, there are other polls that are closer. And of course, there are statewide polls that are all over the place, and statewide polls are less reliable anyway. They're really hard to to nail down. But folks, if you're looking at any polls, stick to the ones that are likely voters, stick to the ones that have a thousand respondents or more, and stick to the ones that are within four points. It's best really be no more than three percentage points more of Democrats than Republicans who are polled. All that information will be there if you click on the story, if you're looking on on the internet, or if you read deeper, it should be there. If they hide these, if they don't say 
by the way, any of these things that I've just talked about, that it's also probably not reliable. Now, that said, still most of those polls, you know, most of the better polls still show Joe Biden ahead nationally. But again, not by anywhere near as much. And that's not how we play this game anyway. Don't ever forget that. Unless you see Joe Biden up week after week by six percentage points or something in polls of likely voters and more than a thousand and with fair samplings, then you don't really know what's going to go on in this election. I just don't see this election being anything other than super close and going down to the wire. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.